There's just one week to go until lights out for the 2024 Formula One season in Bahrain. And that means just one week until we can watch Martin Brundle's famous grid walks again. Brundle's pre-race strolls up and down the grid are iconic. He's often gone viral on social media for his sassiness towards those who are rude to him, calling celebrities the wrong name, and having some very awkward conversations with famous people. But he does a stellar job in a very intense environment and he never fails to entertain. Brundle claims his own racing career was merely a fact-finding mission for the commentary career that followed. But he was a brilliant racer in his own right and beat the lights of Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher and Mika Hakkinen. And when I chatted to Martin back in 2018, he reflected fondly on his careers both on and off the track. I still think I'm a racing driver who commentates on, on races. I think like a driver, I mean, kidding myself, I still race a bit here and there, but that's my mentality. I, I started banger racing on old cars when I was 12. Somehow found my way through touring, hot rods, touring cars, junior single seaters, back to touring cars, and then raced the great hit and center in Formula 3, and bang, I was a Formula 1 driver, still selling Toyotas during the week. Uh, for the first few races of 1984 till I realised I'd actually become a professional driver. So I, I'm very proud of both of my careers in motorsport. Uh, the media one has probably gone even better than the, than the driving one. I look back on my Formula One career with some frustration because I underperformed my potential. You know, I, I, I raced hard against the likes of Senna and Schumacher and Hakkinen and my contemporaries, the, the big stars of that time. I won a lot of races in Formula 3, World Sports Car Championship, Daytona, Le Mans, you know, I, I, had a, I did a lot of winning. So I look back with satisfaction on my driving career and some frustration. My TV career is a complete mystery to me. I didn't want to go in the commentary box. I moaned and kicked and screamed. Did you really? Yeah, I, was... I just didn't want to do it at all. I wanted to be a Formula 1 driver. Refused to accept that you weren't an F1 driver. Yeah, I thought I was driving for Jordan in 1997. Now I'm up in the commentary box with the great Murray Walker. And they started forming up on the grid. And I, and I was screaming inside, stop, wait, I'm not ready. You can't go yet. I'm not ready to race. You know. And then I got some quite nice comments on the, the following week about my commentary. Uh, well, maybe it's not that bad, but... I just didn't get the point of being commentator. Uh, How long did it take for you to get that point? When did you get it? Uh, a year or two, and then you know people started to say very nice things about what I was doing, and I was getting good write-ups, and I realised I was adding value to people's enjoyment of a sport that I loved in Formula One. So. Uh, and I kind of realised then I came to terms with the fact that my Grand Prix career was over but I carried on racing of course uh, with Nissan, Toyota and Bentley at Le Mans and some other stuff and driving the McLaren two-seater whenever I got a chance at Grand Prix and driving the cars for TV so I could still satiate my absolute desire and need to go fast um, but then I was building a, a media career at the same time well, let's put some flesh on those bones. How fast were you? I think in a sports car, I was one of the very best. Uh, in a single-seater, I lacked a tiny bit. So I could beat, and I did, Senna, Schumacher and Hakkinen on my day. I beat them all um, in the same car on the same day. 
and Michael I could outrace quite frequently through 1992, but he was he was a new boy back then to, to Formula One, Michael Schumacher. But the key part of that statement is on my day. Of course, the great champions and the multiple winners don't have a, a day. They're always on it every day, and that's the that's the key difference. What triggered your day? Do you believe in form in cricket and all sport, or, or do racing drivers have form in that way? Yeah, I think you do. I think you get a setup at a circuit. Circuit suits your driving style. I, I was always on the back foot with my career a little bit, I, and the the main reason for that was I smashed myself up in 1984. Uh, smashed my legs up uh, in a Tyrrell, so I lost momentum. And then I moved into other Formula One teams. But what, where that really hurt me was that as I knocked my left foot off my leg, which thankfully they found a way to screw it back on. Sid Watkins, Prof Watkins, stopped them in Dallas cutting my foot off, which would have been the end of my racing career because they were three-pedal cars back then. They were going to amputate yeah, your foot. Amputate my and foot. Sid stepped in. Yeah, got me home to Harley Street. We found a guy who found a way to screw it back on, um, which was fine when you've got a two-pedal car because your left foot's only got to work the clutch pedal. Then we went, uh, it's a three-pedal car, then we went to two-pedal cars, obviously with paddle shift gearboxes, and you've got a throttle, on your, like a car, throttle on your right foot and a brake pedal on your left foot. And I couldn't left foot brake with any kind of finesse. So because I always, you lack feeling yeah, in that just, foot? my foot right. doesn't work very well. So I was still right foot braking. Uh, through then, then when I had to compete with Michael and Mika, it was a it was a hindrance because they could rotate the car in the slow corners and just use their left foot on the brake and pick up the throttle, transfer between the two pedals in a way that I just couldn't do. So unfortunately that crash in Dallas probably is the key reason I underperformed. And also I need, there were some other things, I, I don't think I ever quite had enough self-belief, which is strange because whenever I got in a Jaguar, I felt invincible and I usually was in the World Sports Car Championship. So sport's about your head, about your confidence, and I think that's the big difference between the the greats and the merely very goods. Do you think your lack of karting had something to do with it as well? I mean, what was it? It was dirt, dirt track yeah, and touring cars. Racing. Had you been karting from the age of four, do you think you would have been Yeah, it would have helped me. I never kart raced. Um, i never forget a day Ayrton overtook me in Formula 3 in the, in the rain at Silverstone. He went down the outside of me into Stowe and it was torrential rain I was leading and he uh, went so deep I, I actually always remember shouting out loud see you wouldn't want to be here out there he went all the way around the outside of Stowe on the karting line of which I had no experience of because I never did karting came out in front of me uh, and how did he do that the race was red flagged because Kiki Mansilla went off so as we're going round to the grid again to reform for the second part of the race, I thought, I'm going to try Ayrton's line. Went down the outside, hit a puddle of water, down the grass, skimmed the barrier, just survived. Got back to the grid, thought that was a bit of a lucky escape. <laughs> Restarted the second part of the race. This time Ayrton won the drag race um, down to Stowe. I followed him home, I finished second. And on the podium I said to him, your line into Stowe in the second part of the race didn't work, did it? And he said, I don't know, I didn't try, it was too wet. He just had this knowledge, he had this gift, and he had this experience that, that I didn't have. But that's, that's no excuse. So, I, you know, it, it is, you've got to get yourself into the right cars, but the best drivers always end up in the best cars. Was he ever a mate, just through shared experience of 
you know, Snetterton on a rainy Monday test date. Was that shared experience ever a bonding factor for the two of you? We did have lots of good chats. I remember after the race in Cadwell Park where actually he crashed in qualifying. We were trading pole position lap after lap after lap until he went off at the mountain. How he didn't break his legs in that crash, I don't know, and I'm pleased he didn't. But his car, when you saw his car afterwards, it's a miracle he didn't break his left leg. Um, so we had a long chat after the race, so it was it was friendly. But then as the season unravelled for him and I started beating him and went into the last round ahead of him in the championship, it got a bit fractured. He ended up, his car on top of my car... We had a massive near miss at Snetterton. It all got a little bit personal. He got his license endorsed twice for dangerous driving. And, and he saw me as part of the British establishment. All of the traits I saw in Ayrton in 1983 in Formula 3, I saw later on in Formula 1. He, he was pretty convinced the world was against him and the FIA was against him and so on and so forth. But he had a, a gift, and I've already told you the Silverstone story, which explains that Ayrton knew where the grip was before and during a corner, whereas most of us were during and after a corner. Mm. He had a, for me, he's the greatest driver of all time. But then, don't you often think whatever era you're in, you thought it was the best or whoever you're up against, but uh, others would argue differently. But even when you're in F1 and you're you know, in Japan and, and, and you've been through so much together that in your careers, that did he ever let his guard down with you more than other drivers? We had a chat occasionally and funny enough, I met him in the lift uh, at the hotel the night before he died. And it was a pretty tense weekend, as we all know, with Roland Ratzenberger and Rubens Barrichello. Uh, you know, somewhat different, but serious incidents. Um, and yeah, it, it, no, we were, never, we were never close. That was partly my fault, I guess. We, we'd sort of come through together. He was annoyed my career started better than his in Formula One. He was with Tom when I was with Tyrrell. Fifth in my first race, second in my sixth race I think it was before I smashed myself up the following weekend so um, we would acknowledge we'd stop and have a chat I've seen a few photographs of us chatting away especially when I moved to McLaren I took his seat at McLaren when he elected to go to Williams if you, if you think about it so uh, but no we never really sat down and talked about old times or, or um, had a drink together He may not have been the most successful F1 driver, but my word does Martin have an interesting racing story. Those tales of an almost career-ending accident and his battles with Senna are gripping. Brundle and Senna actually went toe-to-toe -to -toe in the 1983 British Formula 3 Championship, with Brundle leading the standings by a point going into the season finale. Senna won that final race to take the title, and just eight years later, he'd become a triple Formula 1 world champion. There are some great photos of Martin and Ayrton on the podium together online as well. Have a look for them. But that's it for day 27. Have a good Saturday night, whatever you're doing. And I'll speak to you again on Sunday. Formula One is the greatest sport in the world. But there can be a lot to understand. Don't worry, we're here to help. I'm Katie Osborne. This is Christian Hugill. And welcome to F1 Explains. This is the official F1 podcast about how the sport really works. The drivers, the cars, the rules, the words, the risk takers, late breakers, and history makers that amaze and inspire us every race weekend. 
hit like, follow or subscribe for new episodes every Friday as we answer your questions about F1 with the help of some very special guests. Oscar Piastri, welcome for your debut on F1 Explains. Thank you, thanks for having me. Double World Champion Nika Hakkinen, welcome to F1 Explains. That they could make up, what the, what are you doing, man? <laughs> what, are, what are you doing? And by your side, a woman whose race strategy once made Sergio Perez cry. It's important for me to say tears of joy. Welcome back, Bernie Collins. Thank you so much. You've just not heard the crying ones from losing the race. <laughs> Susie Wolf joining us here on F1 Explains. What a joy to have you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me, Christian Hugill and Katie Osborne on the stage is Formula One legend David Coulthard. We'll be here across the 2024 season with current drivers and legends of the sport. Plus, insights and explanations from people you don't usually get to hear from, the unseen experts who are essential to Formula One. We need your question to put to our experts. Are you F1 Explains? <laughs> we are. I love your podcast. I love F1 Explains. <laughs> Christian Hugo. Oh, my God. And Katie Osborne. Osborne. Record it as a voice note on your phone, or you can write it in an email and send it to F1Explains at F1.com. Just search for F1Explains wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll speak to you soon. (laughs) 